Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. My family and I have been serving the Lord now for many years. For a number of years, I served at the Temple Baptist Church in Crown College, almost two decades in Tennessee. And then about five years ago, God led us into full-time evangelistic work, what I'm doing now. And so we live in the mountains of West Virginia, where I was born and raised. Uh, My wife's name is Tammy. She is from the great state of Michigan. And we have three children that all look like their mother, praise God. Uh, Morgan is almost 21 a junior in Bible college. Lauren just graduated from high school and is going to college this year. And Grant is 15 and just got his learner's permit. Pray for me, will you? Uh, It's an unusual season of life, and we're having a great time, and the Lord's been good to us. Uh, We're not a perfect family. In fact, there is no perfect family. Matter of fact, let me go a step further. If anybody gives you the idea they've got a perfect family, get as far away from them as you possibly can. Because usually, not always, but usually the people that give the idea that they got it all together, usually somewhere they're coming apart at the seams. And there's no perfect family, and I'm going to tell you why there's no perfect family. Everybody turn and look at the person next to you, would you please? I want you to stare at them. Don't look at me. Turn and look at the person next to you. Just gaze into their lovely eyes for a moment. Stare at them. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm sorry about that, but... You're seated next to your spouse. You better not think that, right? Look at them. Do you know what you're looking at right now? You are looking at a certified sinner. That's what you're looking at. And by the way, guess what they're looking at? Right, same thing. Look, there is no perfect family because there are no perfect people. We're all sinners living with other sinners in a sin-cursed world, and we deal with it every day of our life. And so how are you going to deal with that? I'll say more about this in just a moment, but the difference, the difference for a Christian family is though you have an old sin nature, praise God, you have Christ living inside of you. It is is Christ alone that makes a Christian home Christian. It's not just a Christian home, it's Christ home. It's where the Lord lives. It's where Jesus has his way. And so today, by God's grace and help, I want us to take a fresh look at Jesus and a fresh look at the kind of home that God wants for all of us to have. Now, before I begin, I want to have a little exercise with you. So everybody get your pen out, would you please? Get your pen out, get the piece of paper out. Matter of fact, just turn it over to a blank page for a moment, and we'll go back to the notes section in just a second. And I'm going to give you about, oh, 60 seconds, maybe 60 seconds to work with your family, whoever you're next to. And if you are here today and your family's not here, just work with whoever's at your table, all right? Hope you sat with some smart people. We're about to find out. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds, and I want you to write down every family you can think of as quickly as you can, every family you can think of as quickly as you can that's found in the Bible. And you cannot open your Bible, all right? So all you cheaters, close your Bible now. And you've got to think for just a moment. Get your mind working. Wait, don't start yet. Don't start yet. When I say go, you go. When I say stop, you stop. Every family. How many of you understand what I'm asking you to do? Yes? So, okay, let me give you one. Adam and Eve. Everybody write down Adam and Eve, all right? That's the only one the pastor had. I hope his wife can help him here this morning, all right? 
So you got your first one. Congratulations. Everybody's got one now. You got 60 seconds to think of as many families as you possibly can. When I say stop, you have to stop. Ready? On your mark, get set, work together, go. All right, stop. Lay your pen down now. And uh, I want you to get your heads together for a moment because you may have been using different sheets, and I want you to tally up how many you have, all right? So find out how many you have and delete any that are made up, all right? So any that aren't really in the Bible, get rid of those. Some of you just start writing down names. It doesn't work that way, all right? Yeah. All right. Uh, who has, let's say, more than 20? Would you raise your hand, please? Anybody have more than 20? Good. Look, look, look. Fabulous. All right. How many of you have, let's say, 15? You have 15 families from the Bible. This is more challenging than you thought, right? Some of you do. Good. Wonderful. How many of you have at least 10? At least 10. <laughs> All right. Good. How many of you have at least five? Would you raise your hand, please? How many of you have at least one? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Good. Some of you are just now joining us. We're very happy that you came to be with us this morning. Good. Uh, look at your list. Would you say most of them are from the Old Testament or most of them are from the New Testament? Well, that's very interesting. Uh, somebody just shout one out. What, what's one that you have besides Adam and Eve, by the way? Okay, too many people talking at once. I hear Abraham and Sarah. That's good. Somebody else? Isaac and Rebecca. That's a good one. Solomon, yes, and, and his uh, thousand wives, right? That's quite a family. God help them. Somebody else? I'm sorry? David, all right, very good. Yes? Ruth and Boaz, that's one of my favorites. Good. Somebody else? Yes. Moses, all right, very good. And people don't talk much about Moses and Moses' wife, but that's quite a story in Scripture. Yes? Lot and his wife. Boy, there's a, there's a negative example. Isn't it interesting in Scripture? You have the positive examples and you have the negative examples. By the way, can I tell you something I've observed studying my Bible? Many times the same people are at one hand a positive example and another hand a negative example. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Not perfect people either. Now, I want to talk to you in this opening session this morning about one of my favorite families in Scripture. I'm curious if this couple made anybody's list. Years ago, years ago, my wife and I were working with a group of young families in our church. We had a Bible study every Sunday morning. And by the way, I would encourage you, and I really mean this, at whatever stage or season in life you're in, you need to study God's Word with other families, with other people. Iron sharpens iron. And so that's why on the Lord's Day, when you have Bible studies and Sunday school classes and when you have special events like this, being a part of that is very important. And my wife and I, we were working with young families, and one Sunday, almost off the cuff, I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to take a, a different Bible character family every week and just have a little spotlight on them. It was in addition to our normal Bible study. I didn't realize how much fun we were going to have with it. We, we started with Adam and Eve because that was the obvious place, and we just started coming forward. And I had couples in the class saying, well, here's a couple we could look at. Here's a family. And we started making a list. I couldn't believe how many families there were in Scripture. Now, there are lots of families mentioned by name, but how many families were actually emphasized in Scripture. We tend to go to the same ones, you know, and we have our favorites. But my wife and I, as we studied and thought, and every week I was trying to share a little practical application from these families, we came to a family in the New Testament that does not get near enough attention. Did you know that this family is found in five, five different New Testament books, the same family? They're not apostles. 
Uh, they never pastored a church. They were just normal folk. They were just regular people in a local church, but they had a truly Christian home, and they made a difference for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you who they are in just a moment. I'm just curious if you're, if you're getting it yet. They influenced a man, a man that I think you probably know pretty well. His name is the Apostle Paul. How many of you have ever heard of Paul? All right. Well, Paul was blessed by this family. And in fact, when you get to heaven, you might think, I can't wait to meet Paul. I've got to tell you that after my study of Scripture, I can't wait to meet this family. I want to shake their hands. And I want to say to them, thank you for the way you encouraged that man. You know, look, we may not be talking about the preacher if it wasn't for this family. You see, everybody thinks of, of a church and they think of the pastor, they think of the prominent people, they think of folks who are up front doing something. But I want to say to you that great churches, great churches, strong churches are made up of strong families. That's why I love this emphasis and I appreciate your pastor placing it because this church is not strong because of the number of people that attend it. This church is not strong because of the buildings that are on this property. This church is not strong because of money in the bank. This church is not strong because it has lots of programs for different age groups. This church is only as strong as the families that make up the church family. So if you want your church to be everything that it ought to be, then your family has to be everything that it ought to be. And if your family is going to be everything that it ought to be, it means you have to work to be everything God wants you to be. Let me show you the family. How many of you would like to know the family? Would you like to know who they are? Let me introduce them to you. First time we find them in Scripture, they're found in Acts chapter 18. So go with me to Acts chapter 18, and let me introduce you to my friends, who, by the way, you're going to meet in heaven someday. You ever think about all the people you're going to meet when you get to heaven? How exciting it's going to be? Well, we meet them on the pages of Holy Scripture first in Acts chapter number 18. It is, for me and for my wife, Tammy, our favorite couple in the Bible. It's our favorite family. Acts chapter 18, verse number 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named, what's his name, please? Aquila. Circle that in your Bible because that's husband and that's father, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife, what's her name, please? Priscilla. So circle her name because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Do you believe that? So nothing's there by accident, nothing's there by coincidence or as a filler. Well, let me ask you something. We want to jump straight to verse number 4 and Paul's ministry but I want to ask you, why was it important to the Holy Spirit to tell us in the first three verses of Acts chapter number 18 about a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla? I believe God emphasizes them for a reason, and I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment. Uh, may, I, may I ask, how many of you had Aquila and Priscilla on your list? I'm just curious. I see a hand here. Anybody else? One in the room, all right? By the time we're done, I hope everybody in this room says, i tell you one family I really like. I like Aquila and Priscilla. Because I believe, though, they were not perfect people and they did not have a perfect family and they certainly did not live in a perfect situation, that this is a family that God puts out for us because they give for us such a good, positive example of what a Christian home looks like. Now, before I walk through these verses and the places that mention Aquila and Priscilla and give you some things to write down, could I just point something interesting out? I want you to look at verse number one and tell me, please, where they lived. Paul has 
come from Athens, and he's come to a city, and this is where he meets them. This is where they're living. This is where they're working. And what's the name of that city, please? <laughs> what do you know about Corinth? Oh, my goodness. Now, immediately we talk about the church at Corinth being the carnal church. You know what really convicts me? Every time I read First and Second Corinthians, I get under conviction about the fact that we want to talk about their carnality, but I see me in those books. It's my carnality. Can I tell you the flesh that bothers me most? My own. And it's easy to look at everybody else's sin nature. I can spot your sin from 100 yards and tell you all about it. But it's my sin that I have a hard time seeing. But it wasn't just the church that was carnal. The city of Corinth was one of the most godless cities on the planet. In fact, in the Roman Empire, Corinth was known as Little Rome. It was known as a place of immorality and idolatry and public debauchery. In fact, the, even the religious systems in Corinth revolved around sexual things, so, so much so that the temples and the gods and goddesses that were worshipped in the city of Corinth were all so full of immorality. There was open displays of debauchery everywhere, total idolatry in the city. Now watch this, please. And in the middle of it, in the middle of it, a Christian family. Can I tell you, you can be a Christian in Corinth. So you say, well, we live in a really godless culture. Join the club. You think that's something new? You don't think that the first Christians and the first Christian homes had that to deal with? I'm saying to you that no matter what your context, God is always the same. And no matter how awful the darkness is around you, the light of God and the light of God's Word can enable you to live a truly Christian life and have a Christian family. It is possible, and I don't know what that does for you. For me, that just gives me hope that no matter how awful the news is right now, God's Word says I can be a Christian in Corinth. So you say, all right, well, they live in a bad place, but they must have really had it all together. You think so? Look at verse number 2. Why were they in Corinth? They had lately come from Italy. Somebody says, that sounds so nice. I mean, they'd been in Italy, and now they've just moved to Corinth, and they must have a beautiful situation. No. You know why they came from Italy? Read the rest of verse number 2. It says, look at the princes. You believe even God's princes are inspired? Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. Get this. They hated the Jews so much in Rome that they said, if you're a Jew, you can't live here anymore. So they kicked them out of their own cities. They took their homes, and they separated them from their friends. I mean, you want to talk about a couple that has endured some persecution and some hatred and bigotry. You want to talk about a couple that has been mocked and ridiculed, and yet when you find them in Corinth, they are not bitter people. It's fascinating to me. They're not, there's no word of them grumbling and complaining about how hard they have it. There's never a word of them saying to Paul, recorded in Scripture, about, you know, you ought to feel sorry for us because we, we were cast out. A.D. 52, uh, the emperor drove all the Jews out, and they were part of that. I'm simply saying to you that no matter where you live and no matter what your circumstances are, you can be a victorious Christian and you can have a Christian home. Now, why does God tell us so much about Aquila and Priscilla? Well, let me give you several reasons and we'll start in the scripture we're in. I want you to take your sheet in front of you and let's make a list, all right? And I want you to write them down. Please write them down. Number one, would you write this down? I believe the reason God emphasizes them first is that they served the Lord together. They served God together. 
Now, remember, I said to you, they're not preachers and they're not foreign missionaries and they are witnesses, but they're not in what we might consider ministry as far as their occupation, their vocation, but they are servants of God. They are serving the Lord right where they are. And watch this, please. They are serving the Lord together. Can I give you an interesting fact about Aquila and Priscilla? Did you know in Scripture one of them is never mentioned without the other? There's never a single instance where Aquila is mentioned without Priscilla or Priscilla is mentioned without Aquila. Why is that? Because, watch please, they had become one in Jesus Christ, which by the way is God's intent in every family, and they were serving God together. Let me give you some divine math. You ready for this? One plus one equals what? Not two. Divine math. One plus one equals one. My wife and I met in college. And it's the only way a boy from West Virginia and a girl from Michigan ever get together is in college somewhere. And we, uh, we were friends. As a matter of fact, I liked a different young lady, and she liked a different young man, which is really hard to imagine, but she did. She liked somebody else. We were in the same circle of friends, and we started talking to each other about these other people. In fact, we, we started spending a lot of time together. We were talking about these people that we liked, and after a while, we talked to each other so much that we decided we liked each other better than we liked those other people. So we got rid of those other people, praise God, and we got married. We got married on Friday the 13th. It was the luckiest day of my life, let me tell you. Wonderful. We've been married now for 23 years. On that day, we became, in God's sight, we became one. Not just one in body. No, no. There is a spiritual oneness that God desires in every family. It's the idea that we are one with Jesus and we are one in spirit with one another and we are going to serve God together. Now, now listen to me very carefully. You have to believe God for yourself, but you can serve the Lord together. Let me explain that. You can't believe God for your spouse or for your kids. My kids are not Christians because I'm a Christian. And you are not a believer just because your husband or your wife knows Jesus as their Savior. Every person in this room has to come to know Christ for themselves. It's a personal thing. Nobody can, nobody can force this on you. No one can coerce your conscience. No one can make you be something. Look, if I go stand in a garage, am I a car? Yes or no? No, because it doesn't fundamentally change my nature. And if I sit in a church building, does that make me a Christian? The answer to that is no, because it doesn't change my nature. The nature change comes from the inside out. It happens when I realize I'm a sinner Jesus is the only Savior, and I put my faith in Christ and Christ alone for my soul's salvation. So I want to say this to you. Aquila and Priscilla, each individually, had come to faith in Christ. We don't know all the details, but each of them had personally become a follower of Jesus. And I'm saying that because I don't know who I'm talking to today. And a crowd this size, I have no doubt there's probably somebody in this room that though you may, you may be a Christian in the sense that you believe in God and believe the Bible and believe in Jesus and come to church or you come to a Bible study, you are not a true follower of Jesus Christ because you've never personally repented of your sin and by faith invited the Lord Jesus into your life. And I want to say to you, that's where you've got to start. All the other things I'm going to talk about today are meaningless if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot live like a Christian without Christ. And you cannot have a Christian home apart from Jesus Christ. And so you've got to be a believer for yourself. But then, oh, I love this, once you are a believer and each person in the family is a believer, guess what you can do? Then you can serve the Lord together. 
One little funny footnote before I go on. Did you know that in several of the instances where Aquila and Priscilla are found in Scripture, Priscilla's name comes first? Now, typically, when we, are, when we introduce someone, I would say, hello, my name's Scott, this is my wife, Tammy, and we would, we would introduce the husband first. But several places in Scripture, it says Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. I wonder why that is. This one's got potential for sure, but I wonder why that is. Some Bible teachers believe it is because that perhaps Priscilla was the more outgoing, the more well-known, the more, the more uh, what shall I say, uh, bubbly personality, the one that seemed to connect everybody, the one that people remembered. And here's what I take from that. You ready for this? That what we're discussing today is really not about personality, it's about spirituality. Now listen to me very carefully. Every one of us are different. My wife and I are very different. Our personalities are different. Our, our ways are different, but we are one in one thing. Do you know how we're one in one thing? We are one in this. We, we love Christ, and we want to follow Christ together. So we're not dealing here with, well, that's just not my personality. No, no, no. You may be Aquila, or you may be Priscilla in personality, but are you a follower of Jesus Christ? So number one, you got it? They serve the Lord together. Number two, write this down. They serve God right where they were. Oh, I love this. In verse number three, they were serving God in their job every day right in the city where God had them living. I meet so many people who are looking for a different location or a different occupation, and they miss the fact that they can serve God right where they are. Now, I'm going to talk about this before the day is done. Matter of fact, at the end of the day, I'm really going to, I'm really going to come full circle back to this truth. But there are so many people that are so restless right now they're searching. They're, they're looking for somebody. You know, if we could just move to a different place, if we could get a different house, if I could get a different job, if I could whatever, you fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't because you'd get there and realize that's not what makes you happy. Then you'd just be looking for something else. Instead, these people were spiritual enough and discerning enough to understand, let's do this. Let's not wait till everything gets easier and let's not try to fix everything. Let's just start serving God right where we are. That means in your job, in your neighborhood. Why do you think God let you live in that neighborhood? Why do you think God gave you that job? Why do you think the Lord has given you that group of friends near you? Did it ever dawn on you that maybe God's made some divine appointments for you and has orchestrated the circumstances of your life to have you right where he wants you at this moment, and instead of looking for something else, maybe we ought to be looking right where we are to see what God wants to do. Christian families understand God doesn't just work on the church property. He works everywhere they go. And so Aquila and Priscilla understood that in the most difficult places, and yes, in the mundane of life. You know, I used to think that life would just be full of all of these really extravagant days and special events, and life has a lot of special events. But as I look at my life now, as a 43, almost 44-year-old man, I'm looking back on my life. You know what I'm recognizing? I'm recognizing that most of life is made up of ordinary days. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like get up, get ready, go to work, come home, be with your family, go to bed, get up the next day and do it all over again. And here's what I've discovered. You ready for this? People are remembered for their extraordinary days, but they're made on their ordinary ones. And I want to say to you that God does some of his greatest work in the ordinary and mundane of life. 
And you might be thinking, well, you know, my life's so ordinary, my life's so mundane, I can't imagine. Oh, don't you understand? That's exactly where God loves to work, and that's exactly who he loves to work through because when he does it that way, guess who gets the glory for it? Only God gets the glory. And Aquila and Priscilla give all glory to God because they were just serving the Lord right where they were. Here's the third truth I've learned from their life, and it is this. They supported the man who was preaching the gospel. They were wholeheartedly behind the preacher. Let me prove that to you. Come down to verse number 12. Now, remember, they met Paul. They, they worked together as tent makers. But look at verse number 12. Paul's having a hard day. Verse 12 says, And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. In other words, let me say it this way. It wasn't very popular to be a preacher at this particular juncture. Like, to be in Corinth and to be for Christ was not a popular thing. And yet, come down to verse number 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and, mark the next two words in your Bible, with him. Oh, Lord, give us some people who are with us. With him, Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. In other words, at the most difficult juncture in Paul's ministry, at one of the hardest times of his personal life, he had some real friends named Priscilla and Aquila who were just loyal, faithful friends and encouragers. Now, let me just pause here a moment and say to you that every preacher needs people like this in the church. My grandfather was an old-timey mountain preacher from the hills of West Virginia. I mean, just, just a country preacher. Very little education. He had an old-fashioned gospel tent. He'd go around and he'd set it up, and he'd preach for six, eight, ten weeks and they'd see hundreds of people saved, and he'd start a church out of that. I was telling, telling someone this week, he started three churches, and then he died, 57 years of age. He died with three pennies in his pocket. That's what he had. That's what he left. Oh, but that's not what he left. No, the lines are falling into me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. He left what money can't buy and death can't take away. He, he left a testimony of a man who feared God. But my grandfather had... At certain junctures in his ministry, tough times, spiritual battles. I don't think he would have made it if it hadn't been for some people like Aquila and Priscilla. I may talk more about this later, but my father was a businessman. He was a corporate executive, and when I was a little boy, that was our life. He was a dedicated Christian. He taught a Sunday school class, but he was a businessman. In his 30s, God called him to preach, and he at some point then left his job and took a church, and he's just celebrated 30 years of pastoring that church. I remember when I was about 14, 15 years of age, he went through the hardest time in his ministry. There was, a, there was a, a conflict in the church. There was a division. There was a devil that got in. That's what happened. And there's always the devil looking for some way to bring division, strife, and contention, and it happened. Serves no purpose to tell you any details about it, but I remember my dad's brokenness. I remember him weeping through his preaching, and I remember he never brought it home, didn't talk about it, but I could see it. And I, I knew the burden and the load he was under. There was a man and his wife in that church named Neely Mills. I'll never forget Neely Mills. He was, a, he was an old Marine, and he was tough as nails. But he had a heart full of God and full of the love of God. And he, he was a woodworker. I still remember he had a little wood shop, and he would make things. And he would greet at our church door on Sundays when we came. He was always there. And if you said, good to see you, Brother Mills, he always said the same thing, like a good military man. He always said the same thing. He said, at my post of duty, that's what he would always say, at my post of duty. Neely Mills and his wife made it their personal business to encourage my dad and mom. Now, you listen to me. 
I don't know if I would be in the Lord's work today if it was not for that couple. You've never met Neely Mills and his wife. You'll meet him in heaven someday. When I see him again, I want to put my arms around him and say thank you for loving our family and encouraging my dad at the most difficult time of his life in ministry. See, this is what spiritual people do. Spiritual people understand it's not just about us. It's about God's work in this world and how we can be connected to it. So they're encouraging the preacher. leads me to the fourth thing. Write it down. They faithfully came to hear the Word of God. I love this. Don't miss this in Scripture. In verse 4, everybody look at verse 4. What is Paul doing? The Bible says in verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. All right? Acts 18, verse 4, Paul is preaching in the synagogue. By the way, interesting parenthesis. Did you know that the meetings of the New Testament church are modeled after the synagogue of the old Jews? I wish I had time to talk to you more about it, but read about how the Jews went to synagogue on Sabbath morning and evening. That's interesting. They had two meetings typically on the Sabbath, and the family would walk to it together and spend time in the synagogue. What was the purpose of the synagogue? It was a place of instruction. It was not like the temple. It was not a place for sacrifice. It was a place where they were being taught uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And when New Testament believers started meeting on the Lord's Day, they modeled their meetings after the old synagogues. Fascinating study. So that's where Paul started his preaching. He went to the Jew first, so he goes to the synagogue, and he's preaching to them. Now, stay with me. Come down to verse number 7. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So he's preaching in the synagogue. Now he's preaching in the houses. He's preaching. He's preaching. He's preaching. Now, watch this, please. Where are Aquila and Priscilla during all this? They're with him. They're with him in the synagogue meetings. They're with him as he's ministering the Word of God. They're literally living with him, working with him, and serving with him, but they are there when the Word of God is being preached. Now, watch this. I love this. It wasn't just when Paul was preaching. Come across the page and look at verse 24. Here's another preacher named Apollos. Verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. There's that place again of instruction. Whom, mark this in your Bible, verse 26, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard. I'm going to tell you something really deep. You ready? This is profound. Are you ready? You can't hear if you're not there. So how did they hear Paul? How did they hear Apollos? The answer was, these were people who attended the synagogue regularly to hear the Word of God preached and taught. Let me give you a real practical suggestion. Connect your family to this local church, and whenever the doors are open and you're not providentially hindered from being here, have your family here. Be here. Just be here. You say, well, every meeting is not the greatest meeting. Well, every meeting is not the greatest meeting, but every meeting is essential if the Word of God is being given. Let me testify. In our home growing up, I said to you, my dad was just a, he was a layman. He was a businessman. But there was never any discussion about whether we were going to church or not. I mean, like it never came up. In fact, I don't ever remember anybody in our house saying, are we going to church tonight? Are we going to church this Sunday? In fact, I think if I'd asked that question, he'd have killed me. That's what I think. Somebody said, oh, so you were one of those people that was forced to go to church. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was me. Somebody said, well, didn't it make you bitter and turn against the church? No. No, in fact, 
My parents were such happy Christians. They loved going. We went early and stayed late. When they needed volunteers, we, we volunteered. I, long before Dad was in the ministry, long before he was in the ministry. I mean, it was just like we were wholeheartedly engaged in it. And you know what I learned? I know this is crazy. I get it. I understand. How sick is this? We actually thought it was fun to go to church. They brainwashed us. That's what they did. They, they brainwashed us into believing you could follow Jesus and actually enjoy it. May I tell you, after all these years, I don't regret any of that. And by God's grace, that's exactly what I want to do with my children. You connect your family to the church family and be here to hear the Word of God. Number five, write this one down, would you please? They then taught others what they had been taught. Now, don't miss this. It's not just that they heard, then they're willing to teach. I think all of us are supposed to be students and teachers. And you say, well, I'm no public speaker. We're not talking about being a public speaker. We're talking about being a teacher. There's a difference. All of us should be relaying to others what we've received from God. So let me meddle just a moment. What family is your family encouraging right now? Who in your neighborhood would you say you as a married couple are trying to reach for Christ? Is there anybody who's come to faith in Christ that you are personally helping to disciple and teach them what you've been taught? I mean, is that just for Paul? Like that's just for Apollos to do or, or that's for everybody to do? Because Aquila and Priscilla felt like, you know, to have is to owe. They were debtors, so they turned it inside out and they started giving it. Notice where they started in verse 26. Remember they heard it? Apollos speak. The Bible says that Apollos didn't have some understanding that they had received from Paul. So look at the end of verse 26. They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. I love that. Somebody said, I could do that. Straighten the preacher out. Is that what you want me to do? I could do that. No, no, that's not the principle. The principle was that Apollos didn't really understand some of these New Testament principles that they had received. So they just felt like we can help him. And I love this tender expression. They took him unto them. They didn't straighten him out. They took him unto them. They, they developed a relationship. They ministered to him. By the way, Apollos went on to have quite a ministry with lots of people getting saved. I think that's fruit to Aquila and Priscilla's account. And I'm saying to you, you may never stand on the platform and do some big public thing, but in your private life, in your personal life, in your family life, God could use you. Start right where you are. Start by teaching your own children. That's a good place to start. We'll talk more about God's classroom a little later. Start by teaching your children. But start with the people that God puts in your path to teach them what God is teaching you. May I say this? Don't be a Dead Sea Christian. Years ago, I was in Amman, Jordan. We were training Iraqi pastors to go back into Baghdad and start Baptist churches. It was right after the fall of Iraq. It was a fascinating time. And the Jordanian pastor that was hosting us, he showed me Mount Nebo, and he drove me through the wilderness where the children of Israel walked through, and this was just an amazing time there. And then he took me to a beautiful body of water. I'll never forget the evening we were there. The sun was setting. It was gorgeous. And I walked down that body of water and scooped some water up and put it to my lips. And when I did, I spit it right back out. And he started laughing. He said, welcome to the Dead Sea. It wasn't just salty. It was bitter. It was bitter. And here's what he said to me. He said, do you know for centuries that living things flowed into this body of water from the Jordan River. He said, for centuries, living organisms were flowing in. He said, the problem was not that nothing was alive coming in. He said, the problem was nothing ever went out. And then he made one of the most profound statements. I've never forgotten it. This has been many years ago. He said to me, life always becomes death when it's kept to itself. 
You know one danger of today's seminar? That if you sit here and take it all in, take it all in, you could get a head full of facts and a page full of notes and go home, excuse me, more spiritually bloated than you came, full of ideas. But if nothing goes out from you to anybody else, then after a while, even that truth becomes bitter. That's why you meet some people who've been in church all their life and they're very miserable, unhappy people. It's not because they never got the truth. It's because they never learned to give the truth to anybody else. Don't let it dead end with your family. Number six, would you write it down? Why are they in the Bible? I think number six, because they involve their whole household in the work of the local church. I mean, they were so wholehearted, so engaged, so in it, and it wasn't a perfect church. Remember what church it was? It was the church at where? Corinth. It wasn't a perfect church. Did you know you can always find fault in any church? My grandpa used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. There is no perfect church. And something's going to happen you don't like, and somebody's not going to speak, and just, you know, get in line and join the club. That's part of life. And just because people are saved, it doesn't mean they always do the right thing. There's no perfect church. And I want to say to you, if you wait until you think there's nothing wrong here to engage your family in the work of the Lord, you're going to waste the rest of your life. And your children are going to miss what God has for them. Now, we've been looking at Acts 18, but let's take a little journey. You still got your Bible open? All right. Go with me just a second to Romans chapter 16. Let's take a little walk through Scripture. I told you they're in multiple places. Everybody look at Romans 16 and verse 3. Paul writes to a different church, church at Rome. Obviously, at this juncture, Priscilla and Aquila were back in Rome because he addresses them. Look at Romans 16, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, and I love this expression, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, give us some helpers. You may not be able to do much, but you can help. Everybody can have that, that ministry of helps. Ask God to make you a help. Look at verse 4. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Stop, lift your head, and look at me. There's not too many of those church members today. I'm talking about people willing to sacrifice whatever it costs them, put their neck on the line. You ever hear the expression, put your neck on the line? Well, I want you to know that's what these people did. For my life, they laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Think about this. He said they not only impacted my life, they impacted all of these churches. That is powerful, friends. How many of you would like to be a blessing to a lot of people? Raise your hand, please. All right, let me tell you how to be a blessing to a lot of people. When you encourage God's servant, you encourage everybody he ministers to. So if you want to multiply your helpfulness, then encourage those who are engaged in the work of the Lord. Be a helper to them, if nothing else, and then you get to be a part of what they're doing. Did you know there's a whole lot of people helping me right now? A whole lot of people. You don't know them. I just got an email from a man in Canada, a long ways from here, a long ways from here. He said, I'm praying for your meetings there. Do you know that that man that you will never meet till we get to the judgment seat of Christ is helping this meeting this morning, and he's helping me, and he's having just as much a part in the work of the Lord today as I am? That's, that's wonderful. It's something everybody can do. You might say, well, you don't know my family. No, but God does, and God says any family can get in on this. Read on. Look at the end of verse number 5. Likewise, you want to see how wholehearted they were in the work of the Lord? Hold on to your seat. Greet the church that is in their house. 
These people were so wholehearted in it, they said if the church needs a place to meet, they can meet in our living room. Somebody says, well, that was very hospitable. No, you missed the point. In this day, to, to let the church come into your house was to pull a big bullseye on your house. Like this wasn't, you know, we're having Bible study and coffee at our house. No, this was the church is under such persecution. They don't have buildings publicly to meet in. They're not allowed to meet publicly. They're meeting in secret places. And Aquila and Priscilla said, you all can meet in our house. You know what that is? That's getting heart deep in it. That's doing more than giving lip service. By the way, you know one thing this, this whole season in America has done? It has revealed that our American Christianity is a whole lot weaker than Acts Christianity. Somebody says, well, what do you think about people falling away? I think it's going to happen. I think there's going to be people that fall away who've just given a nod to God every now and then and thrown a dollar in the plate and felt like, you know, well, I did my thing. Well, I want you to know this is the moment for real Christians and real Christian families to step up. This is the moment for churches not to shift into neutral and hope for the best. This is the time for God's people to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here this week. And I'll tell you where it starts. It doesn't start at the church house. It starts at your house. Connecting your family to the work of the Lord. Use a little sanctified imagination for a minute. I hope it's sanctified. Do you think if Aquila and Priscilla were this committed to Christ and the church, it would have had an impact on their children if they had children? No question. See, because your kids know. If I wanted to know what kind of Christian you are, I would not ask your pastor. I would ask your family. Because no one in this room is a better Christian than the Christian they are in the privacy of their own homes. And Aquila and Priscilla, the Holy Spirit said they're the real deal. Turn over to 1 Corinthians with me. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. Here's another place they're found. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. And look at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So there's the church in their house again. But now I point out one more thing. Would you write it down, number seven? They were encouragers. The Bible says they sent salutation. They sent a greeting. They said, oh, oh, who are you writing to? You're writing to the church? Would you please tell them we're praying for them? Would you please, would you please tell them that we love them? Would you please tell them that we're for them? Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord. I'll tell you what we need. We need an army of encouragers today. How many of you are sick of hearing so much bad news? Would you raise your hand? I'm sick of it. So can I give you a recommendation? Be one of the people that's giving the good news. Be an encourager. Be an edifier. Be an exhorter. Be a blessing. Ask the Lord to use you to speak a good word. A good word maketh the heart glad. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. See, you can be God's messenger. You can be the Lord's mouthpiece. Start in your own home and then let that connect to everybody that you come in contact with, but be an encourager. And I'll end. I'll end with the last reference we find in the Bible to Aquila and Priscilla, the last place they're found. Go over with me, please, to 2 Timothy, would you? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you know your Bible, you know 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul ever wrote. He's getting ready to die. And before he dies, he writes one more letter to Timothy, and look how he ends his letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 19. It's all it says, salute Prissa and Aquila. A little different spelling, same, same family, same people. 
Chris and Aquila, just underline it. Chris and Aquila, you say, well, what do you learn from that verse? Well, can I tell you? Did you know 2 Timothy 4 was written 16 years after Acts 18? From the first time we met them to the last time we see them, 16 years have transpired. Let me tell you the bottom line. Let's cut to the chase, all right? The bottom line with Aquila and Priscilla is they were faithful. These are people that didn't just last for a year, didn't just go to church there for five years, didn't just give a decade to the Lord. No, their whole life and family was so given to God that 16 years later, <laughs> Paul is still saying, hey, would you tell my friends, those faithful Christians, hello? I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, but I want to tell you, I want that for my life, I want that for my wife, and I want that for my children. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, Proverbs says, but a faithful man who can find. It is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. And if ever there was a day we need some faithful Christians and faithful Christian families, it's today. Do you know, by the way, I wonder if you got this couple down on your paper when we started earlier. They're famous too. They're infamous, I should say. They're, they are the exact opposite. As I think about Aquila and Priscilla, do you know who I think of as the exact contrast, the antithesis of them? Anybody want to take a guess? There's another couple in the New Testament. There you go, Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Ghost? And here's what the Bible says about them. They kept back part. Can I tell you something about Aquila and Priscilla? They kept back nothing. They were like wholeheartedly given to God and to the church and to the work of the Lord in this world. And by the way, God's going to reward them. He is rewarding them for it. Thousands of years later, we're standing here talking about them. I think they're still clipping coupons in heaven right now. I think they're still getting the blessed benefit of their life and their lasting testimony. And I don't know about you, that is profound to me. How many of you see why this is one of my favorite couples? I hope it'll become one of your favorite couples. And I hope it'll be one of the families that you'll say, by the grace of Almighty God, we want to make that a goal to have that kind of Christian home. I hate yard sales. I really hate them. Let's take a survey. How many of you hate yard sales, garage sales? Would you raise your hand? You hate them. Yeah, God bless you like-minded people. I appreciate it. How many of you love them? Would you raise your hand? Look at you people. What is wrong with this church? This church needs revival, preacher. That's what this church needs. My wife, on the other hand, she loves them. Matter of fact, they had one two weeks ago, and uh, just, it just happened that I happened to be out of town preaching, and I was so very grateful to God for that. Just, I got up that morning and said, thank you, Jesus, for letting me be anywhere today but there for that garage sale. I don't like it. I don't like looking at other people's junk, and I don't like other people looking at my junk. Let's all keep our own junk. That's what I say. And my wife, she loves them, and she sees a good garage sale, yard sale. She's going to stop. Years ago, in Ontario, Canada, there was a fellow by the name of Mr. Martin. I remembered his name. is my grandparents' name, Martin. And Mr. Martin was a, was a man who loved old garage sales. He had an eye for things of value. And he was walking through a garage one morning, and he spotted an old, dusty painting. It was unframed. It was literally covered in dust, barely recognizable, sitting in the back of the garage. And he said to the man of the house, he said, how much for the old painting? And the fellow said, $100. Now, I've not been to too many yard sales, but $100 is a lot at a yard sale. And Mr. Martin just kind of chuckled and said, $100? He walked around a little bit and kept coming back to it, kept coming back to it, kept coming back to it. He tried to talk the man down. The man wouldn't move from it, $100. Finally, Mr. Martin did the unthinkable. He took a $100 bill out of his wallet and paid $100 for an old dusty painting that wasn't even framed sitting in the back of a guy's garage. 
And I'm sure everybody else in the, in the place must have thought, what a ripoff. How ridiculous. Did you know that a few weeks later, that same painting sold on eBay for $50,000? When I read the story, Mr. Martin, and that old dusty painting, I, I started laughing at myself thinking I would have been the guy. Number one, I wouldn't have been at the yard sale. But number two, if I'd been in the, in the garage, I'd have been the guy laughing at him, wasting his $100 on an old junky painting. And then it hit me. And if you want the benefit, somebody has to be willing to pay the price. See, in our shortcut society, everybody wants the product and nobody wants the process. If I said to you, what kind of family do you want to have? There's some reason you're here on a Saturday. Everybody wants to have the right kind of marriage. Everybody wants their kids to turn out right. Everybody wants the family to be strong. Here's the problem. Everybody wants the product without the process. And I want to say to you, if that's the kind of family you want, that's the kind of difference you want to make, then by God's grace, you're going to have to start working on yourself and your home right where you are. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.